the Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the new shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site Land Grant Holy Land. We talk all things Ohio State football and talk to and about other women in Buckeye athletics and beyond. I'm your host, Tia Williams. You can follow me at Tia A.A. Williams, that's Tia with three A's, and of course the site at Land Grant 33. Thank you for tuning into episode five. Um, this is an exciting episode for many reasons, one being I finally got a new microphone, so I apologize for all the past um, really poor audio you guys have had to put up with. Um, and secondly, we are joined by the amazing Sarah Kelly. Sarah is a former sports editor at Washington Post Express who's worked for SB Nation, Iowa's Hawk Central, and more. You can follow her at the Sarah Kelly on Twitter. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so we have to start with the question we ask all of our guests. What's your college team? Who's your NFL team? Uh, we got to see where we stand here. Uh, well, so my number one team is the Kansas Jayhawks. That's where I went to school, where I'm from. Uh, but you might have noticed they've been pretty bad at football for <laughs> a really long time. Um, when I was there, they won an Orange Bowl. No one ever believes me, but it happened. Um <laughs> But because it's been a long decade or so, um, I'm kind of always looking for backup teams. My career has taken me to College Station, Texas and Iowa City. Um, so I kind of have pulled for A&M and Iowa in the past. Um, and then lately, I'm kind of obsessed with watching Hawaii play football, like really into the <laughs> late into the night. Now that they're um, broadcasting that all on Facebook, you can stay up until like 2.30 Eastern and, and they're still at it, uh, oh. which is so much fun. That's, so that's dedication. <laughs> all over the place with college football because Kansas has hurt me so bad. Um, and then because I'm also from that area, I'm a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. And uh, that's a really easy kind of fan to be right now with Mahomes. Yeah. That's going on up there. Yeah. So you have, you have basketball in college, at least. <laughs> I think yeah. I had you guys winning it all on my bracket if I remember correctly. That every year. Sometimes <laughs> it works out. I've, I've won a few bracket pools. Nice. Yeah. And then, yeah, you have the Chiefs. So we're kind of flip-flopped because my Eagles are doing everything in their power to lose every game and the Buckeyes are killing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Buckeyes are, are such a powerhouse. It's kind of like what it's like to be, you know, Kansas basketball fan that, you know, you expect the world every single year and you get the world a lot of years. Yeah. But if you don't, then you know, the world is over. <laughs> right. Yeah. My definition of a really bad season is really different from some other person's idea of a really bad season. Um, because I'm, you know, so used to my team winning the league every single year. And then if we don't make it to at least an elite eight, then what's the point? And of course, most other people in college sports fan fandom are, are, you know, excited when their team even makes the tournament or, you know, if they win a game in the tournament, that's great. And that's like not good enough for me. Yeah. No. And so that probably parallels a lot to <laughs> Ohio State football. And and uh, if you're not making the playoff, then what's the point? Oh, my gosh. Like, I don't know if you watched any of the Ohio State Miami game, but Miami was up, I think, five to nothing. And I almost turned the TV off. Yeah, that I couldn't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so how'd you fall in love with sports, um, and have you always wanted to cover sports? I actually came into it uh, fairly late in life. My parents are kind of nerds. They don't really follow sports, didn't really <laughs> understand it, um, even though I, I grew up in Lawrence, which is a college town, and so it was kind of all around, and 
um, it was a cool thing to do for a lot of my friends and, and classmates. I really didn't fall in love with sports until um, I was in college and working as a copy editor. And uh, the way they had it working at the student newspaper was that you had to do both news and sports. And um, I just kind of fell in love with how it, it can be a reflection of society and it can also be um, a total, you know, a way to disengage from uh, the real world and, and that kind of how it's both of those things at once. Uh, it's so much fun. And then my first job after college was as a sports copy editor in uh, down in College Station. And I learned so much on that job. I went into that job. I didn't know how to read um, a box score. Um, <laughs> I like didn't know how to read uh, any of the scores for like golf, things like that. So a lot of really basic stuff I had to pick up on the fly and I fell in love with it that way. Yeah, I like where you said it's a reflection of society because I remember when I was thinking about getting into sports journalism, I was like, I'm, I don't want to write about games. I don't want to cover games. Like, I don't want to write about stats. Um, and then I really learned that there's so much more to it. You can write about players and their backgrounds and personalities and, you know, feature stories. So yeah, that's definitely how I fell in love with it too. So far in your experience working in sports, what's your experience been like as a woman in the industry, good or bad? I think I've had a more positive experience than most, um, maybe partly because it's been mostly print and online. Um, so like I, appearing on television is one way to get a lot of like comments that I don't have to deal with. Um, and I've also just been lucky enough to work with editors and colleagues who more or less saw me as just another sports editor. Um, and so I, I haven't had a lot of the barriers that you hear about most often, but I still deal with some of the basic things like um, when I go to media days, which has only happened a handful of times, I'm more of an editor than a writer. But, you know, so I, I did make a couple of appearances at like Iowa football media days and I covered like one round of an NCAA tournament game, things like that. Um, you see a lot of the male reporters talking over the, the women in, in the room or kind of they would physically kind of box me out yeah. when I'm trying to talk to a player. And I'm not even small. It's just that they're taller than me. Um, and, and they're something about male reporters they just don't know when they take up space um mm -hmm. and so that kind of really makes me mad and is a challenge that if i if i were to continue doing more writing i'd have to just get a, a thicker skin and become a lot more assertive than i am naturally and so For you've sure. seen a lot of um female reporters who have done that because they get more practice uh but i think maybe one of the biggest negatives is that it's been hard for me to find mentors or, or people who will champion my work um people who feel invested in my success and I think that's something that industry has recognized and is trying to remedy. You see a lot of um, different groups and mentorship programs and scholarships that I don't really feel like existed much uh, when I was in college and early in my career. Uh, I think in the very beginning, you know, a generation ago, women were such an outlier in sports that they kind of had to go it alone. You've got all these pioneers who had really no help. Um, and that's not the case now. So we're kind of moving into a better time, at least. And there are a lot more resources. Absolutely. We had a guest on here who said the exact same thing. Um, she covers, I think she goes to every media day and she's like, I just can't speak over these guys. Um, and it's not so much that we need like a handicap, like, oh, be nice to us or, you know, let us talk. But she, she just was like us and the other women in the room stick together. Um, we let each other into the circle um, etc. So as far as what you said about finding mentors, I completely agree. That's what I had in my um, first sports internship. And her name's Stacy. She was um, the Big Ten Network production manager at Ohio State. And she would lug around like these huge boxes of equipment and set it up by herself. And I just was 
in awe. I was like, I want to be like you. <laughs> so it's so important that women in sports have that, um, you know, representation in the industry. So with that, let's jump into what's trending in the women in sports world. But first, let's take an ad break. So unlike our past shows, I want to start with a high note for women in sports media, and that is a recently uploaded video on Facebook. Um, It's an ad for Facebook groups, and it shows a pair of dads and their daughters going to a Yankees-Mets game. Um, You see the Yankees dad and daughter duo and the Mets dad and daughter duo um, getting ready for the games, and they're rivals, so the whole idea is that Facebook groups is what brings them together. Uh, But the video starts with the dads leaving work, they get their girls ready for the game, one dad picks his daughter up for karate, does her hair. Um, Sarah, I get goosebumps legit every time I watch this video. What do you think this does for, you know, young girls or even just women in sports already? I think what's great about that ad is how understated it is about taking your little girl to the game. It presents it as almost as typical as taking your son to the game that it's just like what are you you know you can almost picture a group about dads and sons or moms and sons or whoever taking them to a baseball game and and, you know you can still see where it's going with it but it's not in your face activist like do something different it's it just makes it so normal yes um and, and that normalization i think is huge um you see a lot of uh of guys straight men who grow up picturing themselves playing catch with their sons taking their sons to ball games and it's so nice to see that presented as like a perfectly natural, normal thing to do with your daughters. Right. Representation is so important. I mean, and like you said, the cliche is dads want a son to throw the baseball with in the backyard or talk football with or what have you. So it definitely just says, dads, take your daughter to take your daughters to games, throw the baseball with them in the backyard. They may love it or they may hate it, but... Um, I know that's how I fell in love with sports, and I just love that whoever created this video thought to include girls instead of boys. So yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, guys, definitely go watch it. It's called Game Day Commercial More Together. Um, It's a winner. And another amazing commercial is ESPN's newest titled There's No Place Like Sports. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, And wow, talk about goosebumps. Did you see this, Sarah? Yeah, that one really did give me goosebumps. I thought I thought they just nailed all of the reasons that sports are so compelling. We were kind of talking about that earlier about the storylines. Like, I also am not a huge X's and O's person, uh, but they just really uh, perfectly captured all of the things that make sports compelling. All of the ways that it comes, it, you know, it reflects our society. It, uh, it it reflects, you know, the challenges that we're all going through as people, um, as you know in our different social groups, in our different, you know, what's going on politically, um, what's happening in this country and, you know, big words and things like that. And, and, um, I just thought they nailed it. It's, it's a perfect commercial. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, okay. So back, back up. If you haven't seen this yet, again, you have to, um, its purpose is to capture everything sports does. Like Sarah said, it's more than just X's and O's. It's more than just wins and losses and stats. It starts with showing 15-year-old Coco Goff's Wimbledon upset against Venus Williams, and it has the text displayed, where else do we dream of defeating our heroes? And then there's the U.S. Women's National Team's World Cup victory with the question, where else do you fight for more than a win? And that kind of is a shout out to equal pay. 
Um, and then they show Allie Raisman speaking out at the ESPYs about the gymnastics sexual abuse scandal. And it says, where else is standing up the bravest thing you can do? I mean, you get the picture. Um, and it's not all women. It's it's all the really deep storylines that have come from sports. Um, and even the creative director behind the campaign was quoted saying, you don't have to watch sports all the time to realize that sport is full of narratives and characters that highlight the best of our human potential. Um, so like you said, Sarah, I think this message is great because there's this idea that in order to be a sports fan or a sports writer, you have to know the name of every head coach in the league, or you have to know the middle name of the Raiders third string quarterback, you know, questions women are so used to getting from men to, mm-hmm. to prove themselves. Um, and sports is so much more than that. It's, it's absolutely more than that. And it, you know, these are stories that need to be told. And I think ESPN picked up on that perfectly. Um, that it, it, it just isn't about um, all of the basic things. It's not even, I, I mean, the point of the commercial is really to inspire you to watch more of their network and give them more money, which is extremely effective. Um, but, you know, it really clues you into like, this doesn't have to be something that you're stats obsessed, that you, you don't have to be an expert on any particular sport to recognize that these are human stories that are worth telling and worth listening to. And I think that's just where they absolutely got it right. Yeah. And we like to throw some advice in for um, women who might be trying to get into the sports industry. So I think I'll just stick it in here. And it's, you know, if you just are a good storyteller, um, you can still be in sports without being sports savvy, if that makes sense. If you're if you want to be in the industry and you're just a good writer, just go for it and find your niche and um, just take it from there. You absolutely can learn the rest of it. That's that's kind of what I've learned is also someone who, um, you know, my biggest weakness as a sports writer would be if you sat me down and showed me a game and told me to write a gamer, you wouldn't get very good work because that's where <laughs> my weakness is, which sounds really silly because it, it feels like that's a basic part of being a sports writer. But what I've learned um, is that any sports staff at any newspaper or digital publication or TV channel is going to be chock full of people who know at least one game inside and out and our stat heads and our X's and O guys, X and O girls. Um, Those people exist in huge numbers and that's great. And that's what they can bring to a staff. That doesn't mean that somebody who understands narrative, who understands storytelling, who understands, you know, language or, um, you know, the different more technical things that you would do in TV and radio. Um, those are all really valuable. And I think a lot of times that perspective that comes from something other than I played this sport is really valuable because it it shows you something that you haven't traditionally seen as much in sports because it's been dominated so much by um, by men and um, often by former athletes covering, you know, a very specific part of their own sport. And there's a lot of value to that, but it's not the only thing. And it's not how you get the most interesting stories. Yes. Ladies, if you're listening to this, Sarah is an experienced sports editor. Um, You know, they, they want different perspectives. They don't need a million stats guys on staff. So those are the positives. However, we have a lot to work on in this arena. Um, as shown by, you guessed it, Dana Jacobson's interview with Bill Belichick. Sarah, what was your initial reaction to this? Do you think he would have treated a male reporter this way? You know, my answer to that is maybe. Yeah. But if he had, you know, it, I would have been critical of that too, because Bill Belichick's job, part of his job, 
as head coach is to answer tough questions. And he seemed really like offended that Dana Jacobson was doing her job. And that's extremely unprofessional. It's not necessarily surprising coming from him. And there are some other coaches who are the same way, who who have a really bad attitude about reporters being anything other than, you know, cheerleaders, Mm -hmm. uh, which is frustrating. And so many depend on access that they don't have a chance to be adversarial. So, you know, I'm really happy that Dana Jacobson and other reporters are asking these questions, even if they are getting shut down. The stare, you know, maybe (laughs) maybe wouldn't have. I'm not sure if you would have done that to a male reporter or not. It does. It looks different. It feels different when he's doing it to a female reporter. Right. It seems a lot more condescending. It's really hard to know. I know that he's been super rude to other male um, male reporters. So it's hard to know if if that's like, you know, open sexism or, or not. But either way, it's it's wildly unprofessional to act like like she's in the wrong for asking a completely normal question that he should ha- he should have to answer. Right. If you put someone like that like like Antonio Brown on your staff knowing <laughs> what you know and then you decide that you don't want him to be on your team like you need to answer for that. You you made this choice, then you made this other choice. Right. That's I don't even job. think it's like I would be l- less or more mad if it was a male reporter and I agree with you. I think he probably would have I mean, that's, it's almost like his brand, more or less, to be a grumpy old man. You also saw that with, I think it was Maria Taylor in that post game, and um, Nick Saban kind of spoke to her. Yeah, so it really does happen to women more often, and I don't know if that's just coincidental, but my gut says it's not, and like you said, he... He didn't have to do the stare, you know, like whether you're annoyed with the question or not, she stopped as soon as you shut her down saying, you know, well, we're focused on the Jets. Well, then she said, OK, thank you, coach. And then you just say, thanks. And you walk away. You know, the the stare was just right. it was she unnecessary. She have been more professional. Oh, I and just know that he is not new to this business. No, he is not without, you know, resources to train him to deal with the media. You know, this is one of the most powerful and experienced people in professional football. And he knows all of that, and he's still acting like a petulant child, and that's really frustrating because all of us in the media have jobs to do, and that job is not to cape for uh, New England or any other team. And no. and people who work for these teams forget that we don't work for them. Right. I don't care how many rings you have. So with that, what's the biggest change you want to see happen for women in sports, whether it be reporters, athletes, coaches? The biggest change I want to see, um, and we're starting to see it, is more coverage for women's sports as just something that you expect people to be interested in. Uh, We've seen stats come in that over the last few years, WNBA is seeing huge gains in their ratings on TV. Uh, That's because suddenly it's a lot easier to watch them on TV. (laughs) So the interest grows. That's how that works. Um, You know, and their their attendance is up. Uh, You saw similar numbers, you know, similar increases uh, with the women's national soccer team when they were so good they're selling out these arenas they're um i got to see the um the local team here in dc the spirit uh basically sold out audi field where dc united plays twice this year because the uptick in interest from the world cup and and so what we're learning is that when you expose fans to this you give them a chance to be interested yes so yeah right exactly so the the traditional logic and i came up in that same logic was, you know, we put the stuff on the front page or on the beginning of our segment or or what have you that people are most interested in and nobody's interested in 
say women's basketball or women's soccer or whatever. So that goes in the back or we don't include it or whatever. Um, and I, I think what I'd like to see in more editorial meetings is, um, you know, like a real effort to push forward things that are the best stories and teams that are the most successful in whatever they're at, like whatever they're doing, whatever their sport is. Right. And um, a little less, a little less of that. Like I want people to be people who make these decisions. Um, and as a sports editor, that's that's a lot of times has been my job to be aware that there's, a, you know, consider that a bias and be aware of that when they're choosing their coverage and choosing how they set up their shows, how they set up their sections, right. uh, how they set up their assignments. Um, you know, like, are you sending reporters and photographers to these events? Because you can't, you know, and, and to give these things a chance when you have, you know, things like in D.C., you have uh, the WNBA's MVP and a number one seed in, in the playoffs. Like, that's a big story that should get more prominence than a game that doesn't matter about the Redskins, even though I, <laughs> I know that the interest in NFL is very high for some reason. Yeah, I don't I really don't get it in Washington. <laughs> the team's bad. The team's been bad for a long time. Um you know, the numbers still show that people watch this on TV and they still read every story, but we're also not giving them a chance to be interested in something better. Yeah. And, and I guess that's my argument is that it's better. This is a better team. Right. So here's a good story about a better team instead of, you know, breaking down what awful thing happened again <laughs> to the Redskins. Are they on, do they share a spot on the front page? Do you know? You know, it depends. Um, when I was working at uh, Washington Post Express, RIP, um, <laughs> I, you know, I kind of I pushed for that as much as I could. It's hard because, uh, you know, you only can work with what kind of coverage you've got. And that part wasn't my job. Like assigning reporters wasn't necessarily my job. So, you know, when we could, though, especially in the playoffs, um, we'd like to get those on the front page. And, yeah. and, you know, still we give more than enough space to the Redskins and to NFL in general and to football in general. Um, but I, I think uh, a good way that newsrooms should start looking at it is what is the most compelling story, not what is the topic that people are most interested in. Yeah. And they're the most interested in it because the media is setting the narrative and they're telling them this is what you should be interested in. So when people argue that, oh, well, the men's soccer team still um, makes the most money just because the women are better, the men still make the most money. Well, that's because the men are pushed in the media more, you know, like it has to yeah. even out at some point. And if you keep giving them coverage, it will. And the other thing is like reporters, like where are all the women announcers and analysts? I mean, the ratio was like a hundred to one. I mean, it's crazy. I say this every show. I just, it baffles me that there are no and women analysts. <laughs> You know, that was the most exciting thing about being a sports editor is literally 95% of people with that title were men. Right. Oh, um, no, it's like, it's amazing. Like yeah, like they did a study and 95% was the real number. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, like it's not, I'm not even, you know, making that up to make a point. Like, that's literally what it was. That's so sad. Um, you know, the, you don't have a lot of women shaping coverage. You have, you know, reporters and we're seeing a really, really slow movement to hearing their voices on the air during games. Yeah, which I love because so. it sounds so natural to me. It's so funny that men complain about it <laughs> because it sounds I don't even notice that it's, you know, anything unusual until someone's pointing it out that it's a kind of a victory in the industry, because to me, it sounds really normal to hear a woman talking about sports. Absolutely. So, you know, once you have more women making these decisions kind of higher up is where you see more change. So I'd like to see more women sports writer sports editors 
more women, you know, making determinations about what gets covered and how and um, sort of some of those higher ranking things. And we'll get there. Yeah, um, I agree. It is as great as it is to have women, you know, doing these more low, not lower level. You can be a great reporter for your whole life. But, you know, in these as much as it's great to have them covering the sports, I'd love to have more women making these decisions about what gets covered. And that's when you're going to see real change. Okay. And lastly, as of today, I have to ask, who do you have in the final four of the college football playoff? Okay, so I have kind of a boring answer. I uh, the first half of, <laughs> unfortunately, the first half of, of the answer is Alabama and Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I think they really are that good. And I'm Every really year. tired of seeing them be that good. <laughs> but they are what they are. Um, so I know that if you're an Alabama fan or a Clemson fan, that's amazing. And uh, if you're everybody else, you're really sick of it. Yeah. And then the other half of my answer is not that much more interesting either because I think, you know, I'd love to see Georgia get in, but I think Ohio State is more likely. Thank you. And that will that will start to become uh, either a smarter or a dumber answer in the next few weeks. I know. <laughs> you know, we haven't we haven't seen Ohio State really be tested yet. Right. Um, but the blow up, like I thought I thought the Cincinnati game would be, um, I thought they'd win it, but I, I thought it would be. Yeah, we Hard. all did. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's, you know, it was picked for a favorite upset. Cincinnati's tricky. They're not a terrible team. Um, and they just, you know, crushed him into the ground. So, I, I, you know, as much as I'd love to see Georgia, I think Georgia's going to screw up. <laughs> and uh, Ohio State is probably if they're who we think they, they are. And they have been the last several years. And then I'm thinking it'll probably be Oklahoma, which is yeah. fine. I mean, you know, all right, that's cool. Um, I don't think that there's anyone in the Big 12 that would challenge Oklahoma, and I don't think that anyone in the Pac-12 is getting in again. Yeah, Oklahoma's always in the conversation. I I can't dismiss LSU, and I they're kind of, like, annoying me. <laughs> I see LSU beating Georgia, but not Alabama, if I had to guess. Yeah, I could definitely and see that. And then they're going to get in that conversation, at least. None of these teams really have been challenged. I mean, I guess... Georgia and Notre Dame, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. <laughs> I think I, I think Notre Dame continues to be a pretender. I don't see Notre Dame, I, you know, especially after that Georgia game. I'm just not not that impressed. They're no, still very good football. Yeah, They're still very good at things. I think they'll get a decent bowl game. Um, but as as much as they like to think of themselves as perennial in that conversation, I don't think that they are. Uh, yeah, they're so annoying. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the show. It's been so fun. My pleasure. You guys have to follow her on Twitter. She's hilarious. I cackled at your tweet right before this podcast about your talk. Oh she finally gosh. quieted down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she said that her dog was breathing really loudly as soon as the podcast started. So um, I didn't hear it. Yeah, she finally quit. She's an English bulldog, so she's kind of always... Yeah, she can't help it. ...making that sound, and then suddenly she's just panting out of control like she just ran a race, and I'm trying to call in. And Yeah, oh, she finally so settled funny. down just in time. Sarah's Twitter is at the Sarah Kelly. My Twitter is at Tia Williams. That's Tia with three A's. And the site at LandGrant33. We'll be back next Thursday and every Thursday after that with new shows. Thanks again for listening to Play Like a Girl, and as always, go Bucks.